What a beautiful prayer, asking the Lord to lead us and shepherd us and guide us and love us. Thank you for those who lead us in singing and in and, and, and this joyful time of declaring God's truths together. Friends, uh, several months ago, in our um, previous church-wide Sunday school, um, we addressed uh, the theme of how members ought to relate or should relate biblically through, uh, to the church leaders or the leaders of the church. One of the questions asked at that time in our Q&A time in that lesson <clears throat> was, <coughs> excuse me, who are the spiritual leaders of our church? That was a great question. I'd like for us to look at Scripture today and, and think about who are the spiritual leaders of the church and then who are they for our church. Would you open Scripture to the book of Acts, reading Acts chapter 20, verses 9, uh, 17 through 38. Chapter 20 of Acts, 17, uh, verse 17 through 38. You may find this passage on page number 929. Let's uh, hear God's word. We have been going through the book of Acts. The reason why this passage is we've been going through the book of Acts for a long time now. Uh, in this particular text, we have been for four Sundays. This is our fourth week in this passage. Next week, Lord willing, will be uh, the last sermon from this text. But today we are considering the theme of who should lead the church. Acts chapter 20, verse 17. Now from Miletus... He sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, you, your, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course, and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all of you, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men, speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert remembering that for three years I did not cease, night or day, to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to the God and the word of his grace, 
which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands minister to my necessities and to those who are with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Let's go to him in prayer and ask him to bless the reading of, of his word for our hearts. Father, thank you that you have revealed your truth to us. Thank you that we can read it, hear it. Oh, Lord, we pray now, would you apply this truth to our hearts? Speak to us, we pray, through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, for the glory of Christ. Amen. Friends, I mentioned to you that in the last four weeks we have been in this passage. It's a very, very rich passage in the truth it proclaims. Paul speaks and called the leaders of the church in Ephesus to address them, to charge them, to remind them of what they are to do as leaders of the church. There's a very weighty responsibility. We will actually look more closely at what they will do next week. But I want to start us off with where we've been. He, Paul de described to them what the church is. That was the first sermon we talked about, what the church is. Then Paul spoke to them about the distinct message of the Christian church. What is the church called to proclaim? That the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is called to make known by words, by declaration, a specific and a distinct message. We looked at that for the last two weeks. And today I want to look at the question, a very simple question, a very important question. Who should lead the church? Who should lead the church? What does the Bible say about leadership in the church? Now let me clarify this question. In the most important way, in the most important sense, God leads his church. The church belongs to God. And God made Christ to be the head of the church. And Christ governs his church even now through his spirit, through his Holy Spirit, and through the proclamation of his word. But we are told in Ephesians 4, the passage that was uh, mentioned earlier in our, in our text, we're told in Ephesians 4 that when Christ ascended on high, he gave gifts to men. When Christ went back to heaven, he gave gifts to men. And what are the gifts that Christ gave to men? Ephesians 4 tells us it is spiritual leaders for the church. Yes, Christ gifted the church with spiritual leaders so that, what does that mean for, for us as Christians and individual Christians? Uh, friends, if you're this morning, if you're visiting us this morning and you're a Christian, perhaps you're, you're just visiting us, we're so glad you're with us. Perhaps you're, you're not a Christian and you're with us. We're, we're even more excited that you're with us. We hope you, you, you hear about the grace of God among us. But 
one of the things the Bible says about Christians is that they're not supposed to be living and, and journeying the Christian walk alone as lone rager Christians, as individualistic Christians, that God and Christ has placed human spiritual leaders over the souls of Christians and over the church. Friends, I wonder if you've ever thought of the leaders of the church in this way, that they're Christ's gifts to men. Also, several times in the New Testament letters, there are some interesting commands uh, given to Christians. And here they are. Let me, 1 Thessalonians 5.12 says, Paul says, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 13, verse 17, the author of Hebrews says, Obey your leaders and submit to them. This is talking about spiritual leaders. Obey your spiritual leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Such spiritual leaders are asked to lead not a business, not a corporation. They're asked to watch over the souls of the members of the church. Friends, this was God's idea, not man's. I wonder if you've ever thought of these God-given commands for you as a believer, as a Christian, toward your spiritual leaders. But then there's another question. If these commands are in Scripture, who are the spiritual leaders towards whom you must follow these, these commands? Who are the spiritual leaders whom God places over Christians and over churches to direct them, to guide them, to care for them, to protect them, to nurture them? It's not just anybody who has any level of responsibility in a church. The passage we have before us helps us understand the biblical view of who should lead the church, humanly speaking. Who is it that Christ has given to the church to lead the church? Let's consider three points about church leadership this morning from this passage. And actually, we'll be looking at a few other Scripture passages um, later in, our, in the sermon as well. But here's the first point about church leadership. Church leadership is important. It's important. Think about who should lead the church. This is an important matter. Where is this importance present in our passage? Well, friends, the entire text that we read is actually one of the few detailed sermons given in the book of Acts from the Apostle Paul. This entire sermon is given to the leaders of the church in Ephesus. The fact that Paul chose to call the leaders of the church in Ephesus to come to him and meet him in Miletus, which is about 30 miles away from Ephesus, speaks about the importance that Paul gave to these leaders, to the idea of, of church leadership. And then the fact that he gives these final instructions, weighty instructions, rich instructions, 
this speech is also not just for church leaders. Uh, it's written in Acts. And Acts gives a lot of attention to this speech for the whole church so that the church members and the church would know what to think and how to think biblically about her leaders. So the simple presence of this detailed sermon at this point in the book of Acts speaks about the importance of, of church leadership. But there's other reasons in this sermon particularly that shows the importance of the church leadership. Uh, first of all, because of, or the second of all, the second reason would be because of what the church is. Look at verse 28. Paul reminds these church leaders, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Why is church leadership important? Because the church belongs to God. And because the church was purchased with, with God's own blood. Friends, some people think very lightly about the church overall. And we forget about the importance of how Scripture, how the Bible speaks about the church. No other human entity, no other organization or community on earth has been purchased by the blood of God. That alone should speak about the importance of, of the leadership of this entity. Friends, because of this, the church is more important than the U.S. Senate. It's more important than the White House. It's more important than the Pentagon. It's more important than any other human organization. So who leads the church? It's an important question. We should think carefully about it. If God purchased the church with his own blood, should we think lightly about the church and about those who should lead the church? Should we allow human tradition to determine what kind of leadership model should be exercised in the church? Or should we allow the, the business models or the political models of the world to influence how we think about church leadership. Should we do church leadership the way we like it? Or because it works a certain way, and we've always done it this way. Because of what the church is, we should think biblically about the church leadership. It's, the church is such an important institution, the only institution God has established here on earth. Another reason, because of the church leadership is important, thirdly, because of how the church leaders are made. Because of how church leaders are made. Who makes church leaders be church leaders? How does someone become a church leader? Friends, um, one of the distinctives about the Baptist church, about the Baptist denomination, is that we have a congregational church government, meaning that the highest human authority and responsibility, humanly speaking, is not the leaders of the church, but the assembled members of that church. The members of the church, when we are assembled together. That's why our church meetings, membership meetings, are very important, and that's why we also care about church membership. Because humanly speaking, the highest human authority and responsibility, Christ has invested his authority. He has delegated that authority to the church, not just to individual people in the church, but to the whole church. Several passages of Scripture speak clearly about this congregational church governance, especially, believe it or not, especially the passages on church discipline. In Matthew 18, 
and 1 Corinthians 5 and 2 Corinthians 2 show the importance that the highest human authority, humanly speaking, in the local church is a gathered assembly, the local members of that church. Because of this, the Baptist distinctive of uh, congregational church governance, when it comes to choosing and, and selecting leaders in the local church, um, that choice rests upon the whole congregation. It is the, the local church members, and they alone, who make someone a leader or appoint someone a leader. Now, this election is similar to the democratic processes, but there's a big difference. There's a big difference also. Even though, on the surface, it looks like a democratic process, the leaders of the church are not elected democratically, according to Scripture. In a democracy, it's the people and the people alone who choose, elect, and empower their leaders to lead. But in the church, while people are called to choose and affirm their leaders, it is God who makes them leaders. Look at verse 28. Look at verse 28. Who makes these people to be leaders in the church? Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. This means that the spiritual leaders of any church should be those whom the Holy Spirit made them to be so. Friends, it's a great tragedy when uh, people elect church leaders whom God did not make them overseers to watch over the flock. And this happens all the time. Today, people appoint leaders over churches based on their human skills or on their influence in society or based on their seniority in a community or based because people like them. How often people whom the Holy Spirit did not make them to be overseers are actually put in positions of leadership in the church. Friends, if the Holy Spirit is involved or should be involved in the process of appointing leaders to carry out the responsibilities of spiritual oversight in a church, then we must think carefully about church leadership. It's not an insignificant matter. We should not entrust the task of spiritual oversight to those whom the Spirit did not make them overseers over the church. They might be great people in the church. They might be great members in the church. They might carry other responsibilities in the church, but they're not tasked by the Holy Spirit to be overseers over the church. In our text, Paul gives a big warning in verse 30. Look at verse 30. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things. For what purpose will they do so? To draw away the disciples after them. You see how here Paul is warning these, these leaders of the church that from within the congregation will arise other men who will try to lead the church astray, members astray. The church would be saved from so many troubles and trials if the members of the church would affirm and follow only those leaders whom God and the Holy Spirit calls them to be spiritual shepherds and spiritual guides for that church. So thinking about church leadership is important, not just because of what the church is, but also because of how ch church leaders are made, and lastly, because of what church leaders are charged to do. 
We will we'll look at this more next week. But just want to remind you that church leaders are charged by God himself to watch over themselves and over all the flock to protect, to admonish, to teach God's word, to refute those who lead others astray, to care, to nurture. These are weighty responsibilities. Church leadership is important. That's why Paul's speech here in Acts is, is recorded in so much detail. So we've seen that the issue of, of church leadership is important. We should not consider this lightly. But let's go to the next question. Who are the leaders of the church? Point number two that I'd like to point out from this passage is that church leadership, not just important, it is important. Point two is a specific group of men. Specific group of men. When Paul called these men to him to charge them to watch over the flock, to protect the flock, to refute those who teach twisted truths, to admonish those who would go astray, to care for the well-being of the flock, notice, notice who is it that he calls to him. It's not the deacons of the church. It's not a committee of the church. It's not a church council or the trustees of the church. The people whom Paul called to him, the leaders of the church in Ephesus whom he called, were the elders of the church of Ephesus. In this text, we see two of the, two of the three biblical titles used for the, the spiritual leaders, the church leadership. Uh, of, of the church of, of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 17. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. The first label for those called to lead the church is this label, elder, or in the Greek, presbyteros. The second title, look at verse 28, how Paul calls these, these elders, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. The second label for church leadership is this label of overseer, or in the Greek, it's the word episkopos. It's also translated in, in certain places as bishop. That's why the word bishop, you, you hear the word bishop a lot in, in various denominations. The word bishop is the same word as, as overseer, same title, just different translations. Now there's a third description in this passage given to these leaders. It's not a label, but it's an action. Look at verse 28. It says, to care for the church of God. Now, the verb to care in the Greek language is the verb to shepherd. That's why some versions translate this, this verse as to shepherd the church of God or to, to be shepherds of the church of God. Now, the title shepherd um, has been, only appears in the New Testament once, referring to church leaders, only once. But the word or the action to shepherd or to pastor appears many times to refer to church leaders. So from this text, we see that when Scripture speaks about the leaders of the church, those whom are in trust are made leaders by God to watch over the church, there's only three titles used. Either the titles elders, overseers, or pastors, shepherds. What about deacons? We're in a Baptist church. What about deacons? Well, biblically, it's true that the church has two offices, the offices of deacons and the offices of elders, overseers, or pastors. 
But the office of, of deacon is an important office. We should not neglect it. Their role, however, is not one of spiritual leadership. Their role is supposed to be uh, to support the physical needs of the church and of the members. Such physical needs, if they're not taken care of, actually produce spiritual disunity and trouble. So caring for the, even for the physical and material needs of the congregation and the membership is a spiritual matter. That's why, uh, even though their deacons are called to, to support the, need, the material needs of the church, they're still supposed to be men full of the Holy Spirit and full of wisdom. It's not enough just to have human wisdom and human experience. They, they must be full of the Holy Spirit. But the Bible nowhere gives the deacons the responsibility to watch over a church or the responsibility to guide the church or to protect the church and its teaching or to lead it. This role was reserved for the office of elders, overseers, or pastors. Even in Acts chapter 11, when the believers in Antioch hear that, uh, that the, the church in Jerusalem or the Judea had a big famine, uh, the church in Antioch decided to do a, a love offering for the church in Jerusalem. So they collected this, this, this money and they sent it um, to the church in Jerusalem. And in Acts 11:29, we read that they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. When they sent the, the love offering to the church in Jerusalem, they sent it to the elders. Why? Why the elders? Because they were ultimately in charge of the well-being of the church in Jerusalem. They may not address all the details, but the elders were responsible for all aspects of the life of the church. That's why when Paul calls for the spiritual leaders of the church in Ephesus, he only calls for the elders, overseers, or pastors to come to him. Now, a question that is sometimes raised is, should we care about labels? Should we care about the labels, how we call these church leaders? Well, in one sense, there's a no, and in one sense, there's a yes. In one sense, no, as long as you use the appropriate biblical terms, any of the three biblical labels used in Scripture are fine. We can use them appropriately. But in another sense, labels are important. First of all, leaders today, or the word leader today, is used for any position of any level of responsibility in a church. Everybody is a leader if they have some sort of responsibility. And we praise God for every member who desires and is willing to take on responsibilities in the life of the church. We, we thank God for, for all of them who lead in, in various ways. But the word leader is given such a wide use that that actually is misleading when we think about the specific title of, of being a church leader or a leader of the church as the Bible defines it. Second of all, churches also use the word pastor or minister very superficially these days. Today, churches make anybody who has any kind of managing responsibility the title pastor. You know, you have pastor of, of recreation, pastor of arts, or pastor of um, uh, administration, or pastor of worship, Pastor of Membership Assimilation. There's all kinds of titles. We give the, name, the, the label pastor almost to anybody in the church. But really, in, in a lot of situations, these positions are really just managing positions for certain specific departments. But not everybody who is employed by the church should be actually 
or is actually an elder, overseer, or pastor. The title pastor or minister should be given only to those who are shepherding the flock and are entrusted with that responsibility. And they know it, and the church knows it. That's why labels in some way are important, because today we, miss, we, give, that, we give those labels too easily and too superficially. And what the problem is that in giving them superficially and using them superficially, we actually escape the deep responsibility that God himself gives to such leadership roles. Practically, there's some practical applications why labels are important for members. Let me speak to you specifically why you as members should care about labels. First, it helps members know who are the men God has charged to be overseers over your souls and over your church. Not everyone with any degree or level of leadership responsibility has been given this charge. It's an important charge, and you need to know about it. You need to have that clear in your own mind and heart. Who are the spiritual leaders to whom you have a God-given duty to submit to? It helps members know who to follow and submit in the Lord. Now, let me be very clear. This submission is not blind submission. It's not a submission based on someone's personality. It's a submission purely based on God's word. To the extent that the spiritual leaders of churches follow God's word. If I, as your spiritual leader, or any leader in this church speaks something that is contrary to the word of God, you must confront us. So it's not a blind submission. It's a submission based on the Word of God, in accordance with the Word of God. But when the Word of God is faithfully taught, it helps member to, members to know whom in particular they have a duty to, to follow and obey in the Lord. That's why we encourage people to join churches, not just to attend for a long time without joining, because it helps you know who are the spiritual leaders God has placed over you in the Lord. Clear labels also help leaders know their responsibility. Their accountability to the Lord for the members of the church is a very weighty matter. Lack of clarity of labels causes confusion concerning this accountability of the church leaders for the souls of members. So bottom line is when we think about who should lead the church, it's a specific group of men, clearly labeled as such. They should be only those who meet the qualifications described in Scripture, and those who actually do the job description that Scripture lays out for, these, for this role. This role is distinct from the role of deacons or any other council or any other role of leadership in the local church. A third po point about church leadership from this passage. We saw that's important. We saw that it's a specific group of men. Thirdly, it's a plurality of elders. It's a plurality of elders. When Paul calls the leadership of the church in Ephesus to come, notice it's not just one pastor. It's not just one person. It's the elders together. They were a plurality of pastors. Now, let me ask you, if, if we were the church in Ephesus, who would we send? Biblically, this church only has right now one elder officially recognized. I pray that the Lord would increase my tribe among us, from among you. 
I pray that the Lord would increase the number of shepherds to come alongside me from within the congregation. In the absence of a plurality of pastors, I have asked the deacons to help me in this work, even though this is not their role. Because it is not good for me, it's not healthy for me to do it alone. Why not? Because I'm a sinner. It's not good for me to do it alone. It's not good for any pastor to do it alone. But it's also not good for you that I should do it alone. There's spiritual leaders in this congregation who know you better, especially when the first few years when I came here. It's not good for you to be shepherded only by one pastor. The plurality of pastors or elders is seen in other places in the New Testament. Uh, let me read to you through a, a fairly long list of verses. And I'm going to read it just to, see how, to help you see how pervasive this issue is in the New Testament. It's not, it doesn't appear just here and there in a few obscure places. It appears a lot of times. So bear with me as I'm going to read a number of verses from Scripture. You don't need to take notes. Um, if you want to take the references, feel free, but, or you can come afterwards and ask me of these references. But in the book of Acts, we've seen this in numerous places. Shortly after Paul and Barnabas planted the churches in Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, he returned to these churches pretty quickly, and here's what they've done. In Acts 14, 23, and then when they had appointed elders for them in every city, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. The first thing Paul does when he gets back to revisit these newly planted churches is to appoint elders for them in every city. The church in Jerusalem, besides having the apostles who had a very unique role in the history of, of God's redemption, um, the, besides the apostles, the church in Jerusalem had elders. Acts 15, 4. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. In Acts 16, when, when the people in the church from, the, from Antioch go from Jerusalem, they go and, uh, and declare the Jerusalem council uh, results to the churches. And here's what Acts 16, 4 says. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that have been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. The book of Philippians, chapter 1, verse 1. Paul writes his letter to Philippians fairly shortly after planting that church. Paul says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. Amazing that already we see in the church in Philippi, that early in their life together as a church, this role of overseer and deacons together. And Paul addresses not just the congregation, but the spiritual leaders as well. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. The saying is, one, is trustworthy and true. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. And then the list goes on and gives the qualifications for the pastoral role. But notice how the, the label used in that passage is the label overseer. In 1 Timothy 5, 17, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. This is written to Timothy, who is pastoring the church in Ephesus. And here Paul is using and speaking about elders in the plural. Titus 1, 5. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order 
and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. James chapter 5, verse 14. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for, for the elders of the church and let them pray for him. First, Timothy, First Peter 5, 1 and 2. Peter says, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the suffering of Christ, as well as a partaker of the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. These are some of the verses of, of how Scripture speaks about the plurality of elders. But friends, the idea of a plurality of elders is very much a part of the historic Baptist practices as well. Perhaps not so much in the last six decades, but it was so in the previous centuries. Listen to the words of W.B. Johnson, the first president of the Southern Baptist Convention. After looking at these passages, he concluded, in review of these scriptures, we have these points clearly made out that over each church of Christ in the apostolic age, a plurality of rulers was ordained who were designated by the term elder, bishop, overseer, pastor, with authority in the government of the flock. And Johnson said later, it is worthy of particular attention that each church had a plurality of elders, and that although there was a difference in their respective department of service, there was a perfect equality of rank among them. Actually, even our Baptist faith and message, the very first version in 1925, we have three versions of that statement of faith, but the first one in 1925, when it describes the offices of the church, it says the regular officers of a church are bishops or elders and deacons. Friends, in the last few decades, we have equated the role of a pastor with a vocational pastor, so that a pastor is only the paid pastor, the paid professional position. Now, friends, it's true that the pastor is an elder, but it's not true that elders are only the paid pastors. It's true that pastors are elders, but it's not true that elders are only the paid pastors. Actually, in our own text, Paul gives us a hint that he worked among them without being paid by the church. He worked with his own hands to provide for his necessities. So the idea that a pastor is only he whom a church is able to pay is not correct. When we think about the title, the word, the, the responsibility, the office of a pastor, we should not think of pastors as only those whom a church can employ. Pastors are not only the people who go to seminary, or those who have been Christians for a very long time. As a matter of fact, Paul is addressing and calling the elders of the church in Ephesus. This church was planted just about three years ago, prior to this time. So Paul has, has invested himself in training up the leadership, but don't think that somehow there is a, a number of years that needs to pass before someone can be uh, called and recognized for that role. What, is, what are the negative effects what are the negative effects of losing this biblical picture of plurality? And then I'm going to speak about the positive benefits of recovering this plurality of elders. Um, the negative effects, I love what uh, Phil Newton, a pastor of a Southern Baptist church in Memphis, Tennessee, said, churches have shifted the privileges and burdens of ministry to professional staff while bypassing gifted leaders with whom, whom God placed in their members. When we neglect when we neglect to recognize qualified men 
from the congregation as elders, the church loses some of its greatest leadership assets. The church becomes another benefit, the church or another negative effect. effect. Uh, the church becomes overly dependent on the paid staff for its spiritual leadership. But staff comes and goes. And the church goes through instability caused by paid staff transitions. This is not a healthy picture of stability in a church. But when a church has a plurality of elders who come predominantly from within the congregation, and they lead together with a paid elder, or with the paid elders that the church is able to hire, together they form the, the pastoral team. They shepherd together. It offers much more stability in the long run. Some benefits of plurality of lay pastors and elders. <clears throat> it makes the spiritual leadership of the church to be rooted in the life of the congregation and makes it more permanent. Second, it encourages spiritual growth in the congregation and makes the congregation responsible for that growth by encouraging men to live lives that can qualify them for the role of shepherding. A third benefit, it gives greater accountability among the leaders because the elders must first watch over themselves, over not just individually over themselves, but also over each other as elders, and then they together watch over the church. In this case, they are more accountable to each other as elders, and so they will be less prone to sinful practices, to unwise practices, than if only one man was the elder or pastor, and he had no other equal partners who would keep him accountable at an equal level. A plurality of pastors gives the church more spiritual gifts at the highest level of leadership. No one pastor, no one pastor has all the gifts necessary for shepherding a church. No one. Having a plurality of pastors increases the effectiveness of pastoral ministry. Having a plurality of elders and pastors fosters, a fifth benefit, fosters trust among members towards the spiritual leadership of the church. When the pastors watch over one another well, and when the pastors watch well over the church, that gives you, the members, confidence to trust them. Because they know, you know that they're doing their diligent work, not just individuals, but together as a collective group. And that just builds loving trust towards the spiritual leaders of the church. It's no longer just one guy who can be the target of accusations or attacks or suspicions. But there's a group, and, and, and if someone does go astray, there should be accountability in that group. It, it builds trust among the members. In a plurality of elders, the process of leadership is more simple and efficient. Members are freed to do the work of the ministry, not to be bogged down with committees and leadership meetings and become inefficient. Members trust that God has put lay spiritual leaders over the congregation along with vocational uh, pastors to shepherd them well with care. So members trust and delegate the leadership responsibility to, the, to these leaders so that they, the members, are freed to do the work of the ministry. Friends, how often the church has overburdened the members with all kinds of meetings and administrative responsibilities, and the members 
have no more time to do the work of the ministry, to get engaged with neighbors, to get, get engaged in the community, to be a witness for the gospel, because we are so overburdened with all the internal responsibilities, administrative responsibilities of the church. But it shouldn't be that way. It shouldn't be that way. When there's a plurality of elders and, and, or pastors, the leadership it becomes more efficient and, and simple. We have seen these three things today, friends. Church leadership is important. Church leadership is a specific group of men. Church leadership is a plurality of elders. I want to speak to you as your pastors. I want to speak to all of you who are members of this congregation. Members, I love you dearly. And over the past five years, hopefully you've seen my love towards God, towards His Word, and towards you. There's a group of men who I want to thank they have come alongside me to help me be a better pastor. I really am a better pastor because of them. It's the deacons of this church. I want to express my gratitude to them. Because in the absence of a plurality of a biblical model, I have asked them to help me, shepherd, because I did not want to do it alone. And they have. And they know they're doing double duty. And they feel it. They, they, multiple of them have expressed how overburdened they are to do both diaconal work and shepherding work. Some of them even have expressed they're not made for this. They would rather entrust this work to those who are called by God to do that. And yet they have served sacrificially and so selflessly. I want to thank them. I want to ask you to thank them as well. But also, I am asking you as a congregation, I'm calling us today as a church to consider the biblical practice of a plurality of pastors. Let's ask God to lead us, to identify who are the men among us whom He is calling, has called, or will call to come alongside me and shepherd this church as fellow shepherds of this congregation. Men whom we can trust with this role of shepherding. I have spoken to, to our deacons about these issues. We have talked in previous teaching opportunities about this. So I'm calling you as a church to pray and consider making the biblical distinction between deacons and lay pastors. So those whom the Lord calls among you for that role could be set aside for that. God's plan was for the church have spiritual leaders with specific, distinct, and weighty responsibilities. God's plan was to place the church under the care of elders and overseers who would shepherd his church. They could still be assisted by deacons in a great way, but can we as a church accept and follow God's pattern for spiritual authority in our congregation? This is the desire of, of wanting this church to be shepherded even better even more efficiently, to continue to build trust, to continue to build love and unity that I'm asking us to consider to, and, and to relieve also some of the deacons who have said, this is too much for us. We have taken on too much responsibility. I'm asking us to consider this practice as a church. I pray that at the end of the day, and we will look next week at what the, these spiritual leaders are called to do, because it's not just a change of labels. It's not just a change of labels. It's also to ensure and understand that 
with these labels come a very weighty responsibility. And we will see that next week when we consider what church leaders have been called to do. But I'm calling that the Lord will continue to guide us, help us discern his will, so that his church here manifested at the Parkless Baptist Church would be a microcosm, would be a display of God's reign on earth among his people. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you. Thank you that you care so much about your church. First, you have paid the price of your own blood to purchase this church. It's yours. It's not ours. You have invited us into it as members of this household. Oh, Lord, thank you that you have given us instructions about how to live as members of your household. Thank you that you have given us instructions about how the church should be led even through human spiritual leaders, sinful spiritual leaders, and yet who have been sanctified and, and set aside for you and for this task. Father, I pray that as a congregation you would lead us in understanding more carefully and deliberately the biblical pattern of church leadership. Father, I pray that you continue to use us for the spread of the gospel here in Austin and to the ends of the earth. I pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.